Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, 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 and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. You can access my fantasy football rankings at thefootballgirl.com. They're posted every Tuesday morning and updated throughout the week. First of all, happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. And what a wonderful holiday Thanksgiving is. Family, food, and football. That, my friends, is a winning combination. And if we can sneak a little bit of actual thankfulness and gratitude into Thanksgiving, so much the better. The trio of Thanksgiving games will usher in week 13. That's right, people. We are getting right down to it. This is the final week of the regular season in most leagues. A lot of you are facing must-win games. Maybe some of you are competing for a playoff bye this week. We have reached the point where all the bye weeks are over with, and when we get to that point in the fantasy season, it is officially flop sweat time. Uh, In just a minute, I am going to bring in this week's guest, and I am particularly excited about this guest. I think all my guests are great, of course, but this guest, I didn't think I'd get to have him on because he actually walked away from the fantasy industry at one point. But no one can stay estranged from fantasy football for long, and now he's back. It's Alex Gelhar, formerly of NFL.com and now a contributor to one of my favorite fantasy sites, 444.com. Alex is actually doing a column that I used to handle for 444. It's the Waiver Wire Watch column. It's one of the best Waiver Wire articles in the business, and it lands every Monday to help people get the jump on their waiver planning. So Alex and I are going to spend some time talking about week 13 waiver options. We will certainly talk about some other fantasy topics. And of course, I have to ask Alex why he left a full-time job covering fantasy football. But first, I want to bring up two things that have been on my mind. And actually, these are things that came up in conversation with a friend over the weekend. Uh, This friend and I co-own a team in one league and we are competitors in two other leagues. He went to the University of Missouri, and he wanted to go out and watch the Missouri-Tennessee game on Saturday night and drink some beer and eat some oysters. So I was happy to accommodate his wishes on that. And, of course, we got to talking about fantasy football. And one of the things that came up was the significance of matchups, how much they actually matter in fantasy football. And I have said on this podcast and others that I value talent and usage more than matchups when I put together weekly rankings. And after a pretty good start in the Fantasy Pros rankings accuracy competition this season, I have been in a pretty terrible ranking slump 
for more than a month now. And part of it, I think, is that my damn the matchups philosophy has kind of bit me in the ass lately. And in the past, I think it's been, I don't know, I think I've been well served by valuing usage and talent over defensive matchups, but not so much lately. And part of that, and this is what I was telling my buddy while we were watching the Missouri-Tennessee game, is that I think they're more completely hapless teams than usual. Some of those teams might even be consciously tanking for draft position. And so maybe I have not been seizing on matchups against those teams in particular and some of the softer matchups in general. Um, This was kind of underscored the following day, the day after I had this conversation on Sunday at the QB position among the top scorers this week, uh, in week 12, that is, Sam Darnold, who was up against a really bad Oakland pass defense, Jameis Winston, who was up against a shaky Atlanta defense, Baker Mayfield, who beat up on the Dolphins, even Mitch freaking Trubisky, who put up almost 21 fantasy points on the hapless Giants. So I think I'm going to have to start giving a little more weight to defensive matchups this year, maybe next year too. And the other thing that my buddy and I talked about, and this came up because in the two leagues where we're competitors, he owns Russell Wilson in one and I have Russell Wilson in the other. And in one of those leagues, someone had picked Baker Mayfield ahead of Wilson. And in the other league, Mayfield was taken just a pick or two after my friend drafted Wilson. Now, Baker Mayfield is finally starting to get his act together, which is good. But I think it's safe to say that many of us grossly overrated Baker the preseason, some more grossly than others. And hey, I had him ranked way too high myself. Uh, I did not have him ranked ahead of Wilson. And I believe Mayfield was ranked a ahead of Wilson in the Fantasy Pros Experts Consensus preseason rankings. And really, that's the the thing that kept me from falling into the Mayfield trap in drafts this year, that I always liked Wilson more and thought he was being underrated. And so I ended up getting Russ as my quarterback in a lot of leagues. But I think the mistake people made, and this was kind of the crux of what my buddy and I were talking about, is that In Mayfield's case, people assumed that the quality of his pass catchers was going to take him up another notch. With Odell Beckham joining Jarvis Landry, how could Baker Mayfield possibly fail? But I think we get it backwards sometimes. The quarterback is the tide that either lifts all boats or leaves them stuck in the muck. And we saw that Mayfield earlier this year before the schedule sort of turned favorable for him and some of the problems with that offense started to be solved. Uh, And we're seeing it with Jared Goff this year. Goff is not being elevated by Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley. Goff is dragging those dudes down, some more than others. And I made this mistake with Eli Manning last year, which is how I wound up with him in the Scott Fishbowl and in another super flex league. I figured that with Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, and Evan Engram, it would be hard for Eli not to fall ass backward into 4,000 yards and 25 plus touchdowns. 
Well, it turned out that Eli was just washed up and those pass catchers were not going to elevate him. So remember that, people. In the offseason, when some team with a mediocre to average quarterback makes some splashy additions to its pass catching core through free agency and or the draft, be very wary about elevating that quarterback in the rankings based on those additions. All right, we're going to get to a lot more of those types of macro topics in the offseason. I just wanted to bring up those two while they were front of mind. And now it is time to bring in this week's guest. So let's go talk to Alex Gelhar. I am very pleased to be joined at this time by Alex Galhar of 4for4.com. He used to be part of the star-studded fantasy team at NFL.com. You can find him on Twitter at Alex Galhar. And not only does Alex have a great fantasy football mind, but he also hails from my home state of Wisconsin. So I'm especially pleased to have him as a guest. Alex, my fellow Scotty boy, how are you? Good, sir. I'm doing great. Happy to happy to join you here and uh, represent Wisconsin uh, doubly so on the podcast today. That's right, man. It's uh, you cannot possibly cheese it up any more than this with two Wisconsin guys. It would be pretty. It would be pretty hard unless we were actually eating cheese while potting. But I don't think that would be a good auditory experience for any of your listeners. Hey, you don't know what I've got going on over here, Alex. I might have a, a nice little platter of Swiss or cheddar uh, that you're not aware of, but. All right, we won't speculate on that. Uh, Alex, when I started this podcast roughly a year and a half ago, I actually drew up a list of people I wanted to have on the show at some points, and I did so on a pad of paper, and you were high atop that list. Then you announced on Twitter that you were leaving the biz, and I literally had to cross your name off that list. But uh, (laughs) first of all, I'm glad that I got to write your name back down again, and even better, actually get you on the show but I've been dying to ask you about this. So you were covering fantasy for NFL.com, the shield, and it was a Mm -hmm. full-time gig and you were working with some great people. And uh, not only did you have the job, but I think there was a pretty broad consensus within the fantasy industry that you were very good at it. So why did you leave? You know, it was a number of things. Uh, I had been at the NFL for over half a decade and uh, you mentioned a couple times that star-studded cast we had over at NFL Fantasy. That was something that there were a number of great people there when I when I joined up. Uh, you know, Adam Rank and Marcus Grant, and uh, I was lucky enough or smart enough, however you want to put it, to play a big hand in hiring Matt Harmon and Matt Franciscovich, which was when we really hit the ground running with everything over there. But uh, the NFL wasn't. Uh, for whatever reason, willing to hire Matt and Matt on full time. So everything we built up kind of got swept out from under us when Matt got poached, Harbin got poached over to to Yahoo and got a great offer there and is doing great things. And Franchise got uh, a great offer to go to EA Sports and is doing a lot of cool stuff there. So I was kind of uh, left, you know, to pick up the pieces of everything we'd been building up that had come crumbling down. And was considering other options and, and law school kind of crystallized as a way to uh, use all the skills that I was 
using professionally in terms of writing and, and oral advocacy, you know, on, on NFL network and on the podcast and stuff and, uh, and put it to a different use and maybe, maybe help some people out through pro bono work or my job if, and when I find one after law school, uh, down the line. Yeah. Wow. That had to be frustrating. I did not realize that Harmon and, uh, franchise were not full timers there. And, and yeah, I mean, the chemistry you guys had built up was just tremendous. And, you know, I, I loved listening to the podcasts and, you know, seeing the uh, TV appearances. And I can only imagine that that was, uh, you know, a, a source of frustration for you. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, obviously those guys became and still are some of my, my best friends. So it was painful to not be able to uh, get them to stick around there because they had, they both grew so much in the time they were at the NFL, you know, in terms of their ability as writers and analysts and, to go for them to probably never having an, a thought of being on national television to appearing on NFL network a bunch of times. Uh, you know, you really, we really invested a lot uh, in those guys and I'm happy to see their continued success, but it was certainly something that was uh, losing those two was an impetus for me to uh, come up with the decision to uh, change shift gears a little bit. At, at what point was the seed of law school planted? Like, was that, um, you know, before <laughs> Matt's found other work, was that something that had been, you know, germinating uh, as a possibility beforehand? Not, not too long, really, beforehand. I think the, the idea where that might have been an option for me kind of came when I was uh, out in Los Angeles and was watching the uh, protests of like the travel ban and stuff. At, uh, I don't want to, you know, get too into politics, but I was uh, not in favor of that. And I was watching the attorneys that were able to take their weekends and try and help like reconnect families. And I was like, you know, that's a really cool ability to have in your profession as well as to, to take time out to really do something that could mean the world for somebody. So that was when the kind of the idea first started kicking around in the old head. And uh, then later it, it seemed to all kind of to connect with the, uh, the University of Wisconsin is kind enough to grandfather me in for in-state tuition. So I was able to check a couple boxes off coming here and getting a great education and uh, saving some money and being close to family. So made made the jump and uh, doing well so far in it. We'll see, we'll see where it takes me afterwards. And being in a fantastic town, no less. I was lucky enough to do undergraduate at Madison and uh, really one of the best mid-sized towns in America. It's just such a special yeah. place. You know, I gave this town some grief growing up in Wisconsin because I felt like it was just like a glorified uh, college town, uh, like kind of posturing as a big city. But having lived here as a an adult of a you know legal drinking age now, it is a it is really a fantastic city, and the university is a great part of it, and the atmosphere for for sporting events and other things, and having the capital here is cool too. There's there's a lot going always a lot going on, and Madison really is an underrated city. It is, man. Do you feel like the old guy on campus now as a grad, <laughs> a grad student? Well, I mean, I spend I spend ninety nine percent of my time on campus at the law school. Um, but even at the law school, there are people in my class that are older than me. But I've definitely uh, tipped the age scales the the opposite direction. I will say, you know, have uh, have some people that I talk to about things, and I'm like, yeah, blah blah blah. This movie came out in the early nineties, and they're like, I was born in ninety six, and I'm like, well, never mind. So. <laughs> Oh man, kids born after Pulp Fiction came out. That's kind of hard. Yep, exactly. I think Pulp Fiction and like Shawshank were some of those movies that that came up and I'm like, "Oh god, that really makes me feel old." <laughs> so, uh, how hard was it to actually make that leap and and leave what many people would consider to be a dream job? You know, it was a it was a tough decision. I had to I had to think about it long and hard because uh I had 
clawed my way into a good position at the NFL and was kind of in charge of some stuff. And um, it can say, it will say it certainly, it certainly has part of that, that dream job uh, appeal to it. But uh, in the end, I, I really felt like my, my heart and head were behind this transition to law school. So, and I knew that like with the profession, you know, like writing and having the, the experience and background that I had, that there could be opportunities to do that stuff in the future as well on the side if I needed to scratch that itch. And actually in my first year with at law school, I still worked part-time with the NFL, writing a couple articles for them uh, and helping Graham Barfield, you know, transition, who's doing a fantastic job there and was a, uh, you know, like dream replacement <laughs> to get for me, uh, for them after I left. And now uh, I'm working with four for four this year. So it, uh, it has helped ease the transition to still, uh, you know, dip my toes in the water here and there. Yeah. How did you, uh, wind up connecting with four for four and, and, you know, Josh Moore and John Paulson? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, uh, been familiar with four for four's work and know a lot of those guys and met them through industry stuff. And, uh, they had actually reached out to me over the summer. I was curious if I was, it was free to help pick up some, some freelance work and kind of develop the relationship over there. And then, uh, they asked if I was interested in writing the waiver wire watch and, uh, anything else during the season. And I said, absolutely. So it's a good way for me to, uh, you know, give myself an excuse to watch football all day on Sundays and, uh, and think about it and, and study it. And, uh, a good way to get get a little extra beer money in the pocket during this school year, writing some fantasy articles. Yeah, is it is it hard to juggle that? Because I know I actually did waiver wire watch myself a few years before you did, and um, you know it's it's kind of a big column. Like it's a couple thousand words. It's uh, yeah. you know getting a handle on the entire player population and and sort of you know you can't just start writing. You have to like actually have a plan for this column before you attack it. So is it easy to find the time or is it kind of a juggling act? I mean, it's certainly a juggling act. Law school uh, is a very demanding uh, education to be doing. And uh, this year, in particular, your second year at law school, typically you pick up some uh, extra extracurriculars and things of that nature that further shrink uh, your free time. So it is certainly a balancing act, but it's one that's great, you know, uh, get a lot of help from from the guys there in general too they're they're really amenable to the schedule and stuff but i still hit my deadlines and john paulson and i work kind of collaboratively on waiver wire watch so in the event that you know something falls through the cracks he's there to help pick it up and we can kind of bounce ideas off of each other in terms of you know how much of a fab spend should we put do we which guy do we really want to rank at the top for some of these positions so it's been it's been really great to work with four for four and uh, i think the columns have turned out pretty good this year if i do say so myself oh i would agree with that and uh since you have been knee deep in waiver wire options uh this entire season let's talk about some of the top options for the week 13 waiver run um now the good thing is is that everyone uh, everyone knows the bye weeks are finally over with, so maybe some mm-hmm. don't need to make bye week additions as urgently as they might have in recent weeks. Uh, but let's start at quarterback. Your list of QBs includes three guys with some real appealing Week 13 matchups: uh, Sam Darnold versus the Bengals, Nick Foles versus the Buccaneers, and Kyle Allen versus the Redskins. But your number one option this week is someone else. Who do you have at number one? Well, this was a this was a close one, and uh, we ended up putting him at number one. But Ryan Tannehill, uh, believe it or not, has kind of been lights out in fantasy since taking over the the starting job. He's like overcome some tough matchups too, and he's uh, since week seven he's number three in uh, total points at the fantasy quarterback position, and he's the second highest per game average behind only Lamar Jackson, which is just 
insane, but he's he's getting it done through the air. Uh, he's also getting it done on the ground. He's got three rushing touchdowns in that span, a few yards, so it gives you a little bit of Konami code appeal. And uh, the reason, partially the reason he's number one in the list, too, is that while he has a tougher matchup in Week 13 than some of the other guys you mentioned going up against the Colts, he gets the Raiders and Texans heading into the fantasy playoffs. So, like, he's a guy where if you've kind of been struggling at the quarterback position, could help give you a real push into the fantasy postseason. Yeah, and really the the matchup with the Colts is still pretty playable. It's kind of a neutral matchup, and um, yeah, and, and as you mentioned, he's kind of crushed it since taking over that gig for Mariota. Like uh, you know, everyone sort of thought that he was this train wreck uh, after he left Miami, but he's been a lot better than that with a maybe better infrastructure in Tennessee. Um, Alex, of all those three guys with the primo matchups this week, Darnold, Foles, and Allen, which one do you like the most if you were uh, you know, just looking for a one-week streamer from that group? I think my pick would be Darnold. I know he's owned in more leagues than some of the other guys, but he, we were curious to see how he would come into this. He had, you know, looking at it for weeks and weeks and weeks, he was, he was struggling, and there was the seeing ghost game against New England, but there was this big chunk of his schedule where he was going to have just great matchup after great matchup. And now he's strung together three 20 plus fantasy point games. Uh, they're getting all of his different pass catchers involved. Robbie Anderson came back from being on the milk carton. Demarius Thomas is playing well there. He's got, you know, the second coming of Gronk and Ryan Griffin, a kid, uh, but Griffin's been a, a great streaming tight end as well. So I think I would, I would, I would trust uh, Donald the most. He's, he's kind of riding a string of success here and, uh, just that the matchup is is fantastic. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, it, it's kind of funny that this is like right around the time he started to hit stride last year. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he is Mr. December, or at least uh, could be for some playoff bound fantasy teams. Let's move to running back. There are two or three really interesting guys here. Uh, I think Jonathan Williams has probably been snatched up in most leagues, but mm-hmm. with Williams gone, who would be your top running back ad for this week? Well, I was actually kind of surprised to see his ownership percentage so low, but it's it's Rashad Penny. Uh, I thought a lot of people would still be hanging on to him, given the first-round pedigree and kind of the handcuff nature to Chris Carson. But when I checked writing waiver wire watch, he was only owned in 19% of leagues on Yahoo.com. And, uh, you know, he led the Seahawks backfield with 14 carries, had 129 yards on Sunday, thanks in large part to that impressive 58-yard touchdown run. But... With Chris Carson's uh, fumbling issues kind of popping up more and more, and uh, when he fumbled in that game on Sunday, uh, they kind of turned over to Penny for the clock-killing work. Like, this Seahawks offense is loaded. It's a talented unit. It's a high-scoring unit. And in the event that Penny kind of usurps or even becomes more of like a 1B to Chris Carson, I think he could be extremely valuable down the stretch. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, putting my running back rankings for week 13 together later tonight. I'm not looking forward to trying to rank Carson and Penny this week. <laughs> that backfield definitely got a lot more interesting with uh, the results of Sunday. And yeah, just the workload split was something totally unexpected. You would have thought that it would have taken an injury for you know Penny right. to get a majority share, and it, it wasn't the case, which was pretty interesting. Um, and then... There are Bo Scarborough and Benny Snell. I assume both of those guys are on your list. Yep, they're they're the next two up there. Uh, Scarborough's been really involved for the Lions. Uh, aside from the passing game, he's he's not getting a lot of looks there. J.D. McKissick is is stealing those few targets when Driscoll does decide to check it down instead of uh, 
uh, running himself. But, you know, Scarborough's been the guy at the goal line for them. He had 14 carries uh, last week and or two weeks ago, and then 18 carries against Washington on Sunday. That's, you know, that's pretty good usage uh, when we're scrambling to find running backs in a lot of leagues and uh, being the, the big bodied guy that he is, if they get near the goal line, it's probably going to be his number they call. So he at least gives you a, like a decent floor with that, that high volume of running work. I mean, you know, comparing to guys like, uh, Darius Geis or Adrian Peterson, who are splitting like eight to ten carries a piece in their work. If you're getting closer to twenty, that's uh, that's pretty good work for Scarborough there. And uh, I think he might be able to have some success on Thursday against the Bears. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of been the way to attack Chicago more like up the middle than trying to throw on him has been kind of difficult. And I don't think the Lions just want to let Jeff Driscoll go crazy against the Bears defense. That seems like kind of <laughs> I mentioned. So, uh, yeah. yeah, Scarborough might actually be in a pretty good spot with that, even though the Bears might seem like a difficult matchup. Um, yeah, Snell is interesting if, you know, James Conner doesn't come back, but I've heard it suggested right. that with the aggravation of an AC joint injury, it might take just as long, if not longer, for him to come back. So it looks like there's a pretty good chance Snell is going to get rolled out again uh, this week. Yeah. And it'd be nice, uh, you know, if that offense gets a little, little boost with having duck Hodges in there, kind of soften up the boxes for him to run into. Uh, but Snell saw 21 carries, uh, which was kind of, which was a nice surprise. Uh, I forget which week it was, but one of the first weeks Connor got injured about Snell came in and got quite a few carries as well. So if he's getting saddled up as the workhorse in a potentially, you know, friskier offense uh, against that Browns defense, he could, could have some nice flex appeal this week uh, and maybe a couple weeks longer. If you said, uh, as some people are surmising that Connor's recovery might take him a little longer. Yeah. Um, so moving to wide receiver, I don't think fantasy owners are going to find any panacea here, but um, there are always some intriguing wide receiver four types who could pop in the right matchup. Who are your top three at receiver this week? Well, the top three are uh, A.J. Brown, who uh, came back from his his bye week, uh, led the Titans in targets. It was just five, but those were 28% of uh, Tannehill's attempts. And then he turned those into, you know, four catches, 135 yards and a touchdown. He's flashed his big play potential before. And with Ryan Tannehill kind of causing the whole offense to surge, like, like Brown is a nice kind of, you know, volatile but also really high upside play and then the other two are two slot receivers who have been getting it done over the last several weeks at randall cobb and cole beasley um cobb has really come on of late for the cowboys he had back-to-back 100 yard games and then prior to uh sunday and then he had a four catch 86 yard game against the patriots uh with his seven targets leading the team and i think you know this dallas offense is kind of running more through Dak's arm and with Amari Cooper getting a lot more of the attention as we saw Stefan Gilmore winning that one-on-one matchup on Sunday for the Patriots, uh, holding Cooper catchless. Dak's going to start looking for Cobb a lot more. Uh, he's had seven, I think he's had seven plus targets in four straight games now. Yeah. And we might see, uh, more of that again this week with, uh, Dallas running into Buffalo and maybe Cooper gets, uh, Tredavious White for mm-hmm. most of that game. Um, are you kind of, I know you're a Packer fan like I am. Are you kind of surprised that Randall Cobb has this in him. I mean, it seemed like he was cooked, like he had just had too many injuries. And, um, you know, I just, I did not think he was going to be fantasy viable again. My more concern with him in terms of fantasy viability was that I wasn't sure the targets were going to be there with how much they'd thrown to Zeke in the year prior and uh, Cooper being there and Gallup being there as well. But uh, Kellen Moore has really like just totally shifted that offense. And uh, 
having it run through Dak now as opposed to Zeke has lifted Cobb up. But, you know, I thought Cobb still could play. I would have liked knowing that he only got signed for what was his deal, like $5 million this year. Would have been great to have the Packers keep him, especially with the, the, the you know, net negative they're getting from their slot position this year currently with Geronimo Allison. Um, but I'm, I'm happy for, for Cobb. I, I wish he was doing it with the G on his helmet instead of a star as a fan, but uh, it's good good to have him being fantasy relevant again. Yeah, same here, Alex. Don't get me started on Geronimo Allison. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> A.J. Brown, though, like, good call on him. He is, well, first of all, as you mentioned with the Tannehill, uh, having Tannehill at the top of the QB list this week, like, yeah, that offense has kind of clicked. That passing game has clicked to a degree that we didn't think possible. And basically, A.J. Brown has surged past Corey Davis as the, the number one wideout in that offense. And just kind of looking like a young, fast version of Anquan Bolden. Um, just such a big dude to try to bring down. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's interesting for sure. And then at tight end, I'm going to guess that Jack Doyle probably cracks the top three this week with Eric Ebron headed for IR. Is that correct? Yeah, that is absolutely correct. The only guys that uh, notched ahead of him were uh, Ryan Griffin, uh, because as I jokingly mentioned, he's the second coming of Gronk, but he's been playing great and has a good rapport and he has the Bengals up on the schedule. So, you know, potentially high scoring uh, and heavy passing game from the Jets there. And then Kyle Rudolph, who dipped to below 50% uh, ownership, which allowed us to, to sneak him in there. And uh, he's been fantastic, been a fixture in the red zone for Kirk Cousins with Adam Thielen out of the lineup. And even though Thielen could be coming back, uh, the Seahawks have been vulnerable to tight ends, and that's who uh, Rudolph has up on the slate. So those are the only two to jump uh, Doyle uh, in terms of my tight end rankings for pickups this week. Yeah, the Seahawks have been a sneaky good matchup for tight ends. And like you said, I mean, he has just gotten a lot of red zone looks lately. So uh, always a chance. If you if you don't have one of those top guys, like all you're really hoping for is a touchdown, you know, maybe maybe a couple catches because the the way the tight end position has gone this year, and I think we're going to dive into it a little more later, is a it's a bit of a dumpster fire if you don't have one of the top guys. So uh, and a heavy involvement in the red zone is is a good target in my book for a streaming option. Oh yeah, we saw that in week twelve. I mean, week twelve actually it was nice for a change because some of the big guns actually did go off with Ertz yeah. and. Uh, you know, Kittle. Kittle, of course. <laughs> so good to see the superstars checking in. But like any other guy who just got a touchdown is automatically in the top 10. And it's kind of like that most weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Alex, before we continue with the fantasy talk, I have a very important question to ask you. What was it like to be roommates with Matt Harmon? I mean, other than being the initial sounding board for all of the bad takes he would eventually put out on Twitter, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I was kind of like the, the gateway to those. Um, everything about living with Matt was great. Uh, we started rooming together only having known each other from Twitter. Uh, when we were hiring him at the NFL and he was moving out, he uh, was going to try and find an apartment in L.A. in like a weekend, which is uh, a nightmare scenario for anybody that's lived there and dealt with the L.A. housing market. And I was actually looking for a new uh, apartment myself. I had just been split with a different roommate who was moving in with some other guys closer to his job. So... I was going to live by myself. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I float it out to Harmon and see if he wants to live together? I was like, we can accomplish two things. One, I can help uh, introduce him to LA and introduce him to some other people. And then two, he can solve my dog fever because I get to live with Charlie and I don't have to adopt one of my own quite yet. And then throughout that, we actually became, you know, pretty darn good friends. So it was a, it was a joy living with Harmon and, uh, and I miss him. Yeah. So you're a Wisconsinite. Wisconsinite tends 
tend to be pretty grounded. And when I had Matt on the show a couple of months ago, he said that he has gotten pretty comfortable with the California lifestyle, uh, maybe embarrassingly so. And when you guys were living together, I'm going to guess that he probably California-ized himself a little more quickly than you did. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's that's safe to say uh, <laughs> that Harmon. I mean, I loved living in LA. I, I definitely miss living out there too. Uh, phenomenal city, uh, phenomenal people. Uh, left a lot of good friends out there when I came back to go to school. But uh, I think Harmon definitely appreciated some more of the the Hollywood aspects of living in LA than I did. Be safe to say. One other off-topic thing I need to throw at you, Alex. It's Thanksgiving in a few days, so I have to ask: when you go home. Uh, wherever you might be feasting this year, which dish or dishes are you most looking forward to? In other words, what are your favorite Thanksgiving foods? I mean, to me, this is such a hard question because I think all Thanksgiving foods are delicious and people getting into fights about which is the worst is is a little needless, but I'm definitely going to be targeting... Um, uh, mashed potatoes like you know my grandma is one of the people that we're going up to for her house for thanksgiving and makes a mean thing of mashed potatoes and uh love those and then also like my my aunt makes a sweet potato bake that's pretty pretty delicious is like a dessert and uh and everything man i, lo- I love it all stuffing like give, give me it all good man i've i've whoever i had on last year i think i i know it was who's it was uh yeah he like ripped on stuffing my guest last year. I was a little bit uh, disappointed in him for that. I, I don't understand the people yelling at stuffing. I've seen it a couple times on online this past week, and I'm like, what is what what happened to you as a child that you hate stuffing? But uh, and I also think like maybe some people's bias towards some foods might be because maybe their family isn't preparing it as well. Like I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the the cranberry dishes, but I have had some that have been been lights out. So I think it it all goes into the to the care and in preparation and plan of whoever's throwing the Thanksgiving. Um, I'm with you on that. Even the cranberry stuff can be very good. Um, and uh, I got to say to who's the prophet, if I'm remembering that wrong and he did not criticize stuffing, then I'm going to have to apologize. But I think he, <laughs> I think he had it in for stuffing. Uh, but he did go for more of a, a Southern bent, I think, on some of the Thanksgiving food. So he can be forgiven. What's the best kind of pie, Alex? Uh, this is also a very tough question. I think my favorite is just to go with, with straight apple. Uh, it feels very, very fall. I like the, uh, I like, like the texture, like the flavors and everything. It's great, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. I think personally, it's hard to go wrong with pie. Pie is pretty great. I'm with you on that. And, uh, we do have apple and pumpkin at our table most years. And I know, uh, my son Mm -hmm. could not possibly handle it if we did not get the apple pie. Um, all right, Alex, back to fantasy. I've been asking all of my guests this about their uh, preferred league format and scoring setup. What is your favorite type of league to play in? Oh, I think I've uh, grown to really love super flex leagues uh, and also just leagues with more flex positions in general because uh, it really helps sharpen your analysis and skill and make you know waiver pickups more important and, and your draft strategy more critical if you've got to balance a number of different flex positions. So... Uh, and Superflex, I think, is great because it adds more importance to the quarterback position, uh, which is something that you know people go back and forth with all the time. Is like how regular fantasy leagues kind of diminish the importance of the quarterback position by four points for touchdowns and all these things, even though it is the most important position in football. So Superflex helps bring that back, and uh, it also allows you to to dive into that quarterback pool because if you're only in a ten team league and 
you know the edge of your edge of your starters is like you know Carson Carson Wentz is the is the tenth best quarterback in the league. You know you don't have to get into to picking up the Gardner Minshews and Sam Darnolds and stuff like that. So Superflex is is probably my favorite because it gets more of that uh, that pool in there. I'm totally with you on that, and like I am not in any. 10 team leagues and like I kind of generally frown upon 10 team leagues but if you're in a 10 team league Mm -hmm. I think you can make it good if you have a super flex spot and like lots of other flex spots otherwise yes you know all-star lineups across the board and it's no fun if you're you know if you can get guys on waivers every week like I mean Mm -hmm. not in a 10 team league Carson Wentz might be on the waiver wire some weeks you know it's it's just I think you have to, if you have fewer than 12 teams, have to spice it up with Superflex. And, you know, 12 in a Superflex is quite the challenge, and I'm totally with you on that. What about scoring? What about PPR? I think PPR is probably the way to go. Like, if you're going to do half-point PPR, what are we What are we even doing? Like, just go, go all the way. I also prefer six points for passing touchdown. I know it's, like, largely meaningless because it, it adjusts the same for everybody, but, like, a touchdown's worth six points. What are we doing diminishing that? Um, and then uh, I have liked uh, James Coe. I forgot to mention him earlier set when I was talking about all the great people I worked with at the NFL. Wrote a great article uh, and suggesting a, a six-point for touchdown four point for interception scoring system for quarterbacks that I've played in a couple times. And that really uh, shifts the the field a little bit more towards wanting one of those elite guys or, you know, like right now in my, in one of my super flex leaves, I have Jameis Winston as my second quarterback and he's actually been, been pretty darn good despite all his turnovers because of his yardage and uh, touchdowns. But in a, one of those six, four leagues, it'd be whacking off a big chunk of his scoring and, and creating a bigger chasm between him and, and other guys. So I think that's that's a fun way to approach it. And uh, one other thing, because I just don't want to transition before we talk about it, but the, my main league that we're in, we have both head-to-head and total points scoring because uh, that way it keeps everybody involved for the entire season. So I know some people will, will make up uh, like the wild card spot in the postseason. One of them will be most points and then the rest will be record-based, which is good. But for us, you know, in the league for the payouts at the end of the year, total points is one of the factors too. So guys that maybe had a rough schedule or injuries and might be out of the the main postseason still have something to play for all the way through till the end. Yeah, my cousin's husband, who I'm going to be dining with for Thanksgiving on Thursday, I know he plays in a league like that. And they, you know, it's basically a, a double track league where they're playing one with record and the other with just total points. And they actually pay out more for the total points portion of it. And it's always been that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, we that's the same in my league, funny enough. <laughs> that's been that way before we, we added head-to-head set eight or nine years ago. I forget when. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just are uh, very devoted to that as the true measure of you know the caliber of a fantasy team. And really, who can argue with that? It's all about scoring mm-hmm. points. And, and you know it takes out the randomness of the matchups every week. So I, I totally get that. Um, all right, in the leagues you've been in, uh, this year, Alex, how did you approach the tight end position? Like, will the the great uh, calamity, tight end calamity of 2019 affect the way you approach the position in 2020 drafts? I mean, I am very much of the mindset when it comes to the the onesie positions. Uh, for I, I forget who coined that term first, but I know uh, JJ and uh, Denny Carter use it all the time on uh, their podcast, Living the Stream. But I'm much more of a deferring and drafting those positions later. 
the only tight end I was somewhat interested in uh, in drafts this summer was Travis Kelsey, but even then he was going way too early for my liking, and I wasn't in on Ertz and Kittle at their like mid-second round price tag. Uh, to me, I just felt like I hated the opportunity cost I was giving up of getting another wide receiver or running back like a lot of those guys in the same area you know like a dalvin cook in the if he fell to the second round or some of the other top receivers like mike evans or if i you know missing out on chris godwin or or stefan diggs or something like that so i i skewed late and i took dart throws and fortunately for me the dart throws i took worked out for the most part because i i got a lot of uh mark andrews and darren waller buying in on those (laughs) summer narratives but in other leagues, you know, I was I was left to, to stream the position. And, you know, Scott Fishbowl, I think I got Gerald Everett, who worked out pretty well, and, and Jared Cook taking those guys later. So um, I, I think moving forward, that's probably how I'm going to stick with it. Um, unless there's a huge tight end premium, but even then, I feel like it's, it's you know, a red herring almost to, to reach for those guys when you can get better talent and take more shots at the positions where you have to start more people. Yeah, and I'm... Like, as you know, from doing the waiver wire watch all year, like it's been a pretty healthy, I don't know, like you could stream that position very effectively this year. Like there was never any shortage of decent tight end options on the waiver wire. And um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I really regret the leagues where I kind of went in for that second tier and went for guys like, oh God, I have more OJ Howard shares than I care to admit. <laughs> and uh, David Njoku, which, you know, was a, an unfortunate yeah. thing, but I, I don't think that would have worked out all that well considering how slowly Baker Mayfield started this year. Um, you know, and it, I kind of got off Mark Andrews. I was really on him in like the spring and summer best balls, but kind of diverted away from him for my home leagues, which was kind of stupid. And, um, you know, I wound up... It, just deciding to pay up for Kittle and Kelsey in a couple of leagues. I, I guess that's worked out. But really, if I had a, a do-over on all this year's drafts, I think I'd just basically punt and uh, you know take a, a tight end very late in the game. Um, Alex, the 49ers play the Ravens this week. And after what we've been seeing the 49ers do to opposing offenses all year and after what they did to our Packers on Sunday nights. Um, would you under any circumstances consider sitting Lamar Jackson in week 13 for say Sam Darnold or someone else with a, a great matchup? Uh, ab- absolutely not. Uh, I'm not sitting Lamar Jackson for anybody ever, uh, <laughs> at least the rest of this season, you know, because that, I think the, the 49ers definitely had a great showing in the Island game against uh, our dear, our beloved Packers, but they had uh, taken their licks in the couple weeks prior, like Kyler Murray mobile quarterback was able to do some things against them, put up over 20 points in both of his games against uh, the 49ers. Russell Wilson had a decent game against them as well. The interception kind of took a little bit of the, the shine off of his game, but Jackson has basically blown through every tough matchup he's faced so far. He's one of the most dynamic players we've seen in, a long, long time. And I think the way that offense is humming, uh, how clever they are, how creative they are, how smart he is running and throwing the football, there's there's not a chance I, I would sit him for somebody else in a, in a matchup. I'm totally with you. And I think he's largely matchup proof because of the game he has. Um, and Lord knows I do not expect him to get 200 passing yards in that game. But, um, you know, uh, like if he gets 200 passing yards, that's just gravy. And really anything he gets with passing yardage is just gravy what he can do on the ground 
Uh, speaking of the 49ers, has Debo Samuel achieved official must-start status, you think? Uh, must-start might be a little heavy, but I think like he's got to be you know, you have to be loaded at wide receiver if you're not starting Debo Samuel, at least in the flex, or if you have to start three wide receivers, as many of us do in leagues. Um, he's he's really come on, and it's been it's been good to see for for that 49ers team to have somebody emerge from you know that that wide receiver group that uh, all throughout the offseason and even early in the season, us fantasy heads were trying to pick which guy was finally emerging uh, was going to be Dante Pettis or Debo Samuel for a week, and then he got injured, and now they had Emmanuel Sanders, so. Uh, Samuel has, has been proving to be a big play threat for them. Uh, he's a fantastic route runner and, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan's so good on that offense at scheming guys open and Samuel's making the most of his opportunities. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that, how, um, we were all confused. Like Kittle was the, the constant in that passing game. And we were trying to pick the wideouts before the season with Goodwin and Debo and Pettis. And, you know, now it's become so polarized with Debo and Emmanuel Sanders, just like none of these other guys. I mean, I guess Kendrick Bourne factors in now and again, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, how the two have just taken that over and and turned that position into such a positive for the Niners. If you had to guess approximately where do you think Debo is going to be ranked among wide receivers next year? Do you think he can like maybe sneak into the back end of the top 25? Or do you think people are going to be a little more cautious about him since you know, since he's young and since the 49ers aren't necessarily an air it out team and since George Kittle that is there to, you know, soak up his share of the targets. Um, have you thought about that? Like where he might be drafted next year? You know, I haven't, but as you were running through it and I was just kind of trying to think of like real quick off the top of my head, running down receivers I'd rather have against him and kind of like the type of player he is at the point of his career he's in and the team he's on. Cause as you mentioned, you know, they have so many weapons there. I think where he's probably going to fall is in that mid tier of like the wide receiver twos. That's going to go in the middle rounds, but you know, probably a little farther down from where like Godwin went this year, since he was getting up into like the third round towards the end of draft season. But much of the summer was more in like the four to six kind of range. I think because there is a very, uh, you know, tangible, ceiling to see with him if he gets a sizable target share in such a high scoring potent offense but by the same token like with so many mouths to feed in that offense you can also see a season where he has a very good year on the football field but like a an 806 year is not really going to get it done in fantasy if we're taking him in the fifth or sixth round right but i could see that groundswell because people might get excited about a guy who uh really started crackling in his rookie season and then you know Mm -hmm. established himself going into the second season uh in a a very healthy offensive ecosystem uh i could definitely see the appeal how good would you feel alex about starting jonathan williams this week against the titans after uh what he has done the last couple of weeks uh, you know, I feel decent about it. The Titans are a good are a good defense, but you know that that Colts offense has been wanting to run the ball a lot, especially with the injuries and the passing attack uh, to Jacoby Brissett and T.Y. Hilton. Um, and it was funny because I was uh, messaging with uh, John from Four for Four when Jordan Wilkins practiced on Wednesday. We we're kind of like, you know, oh, oh no, like maybe we should have we should have added him sooner or like put put him up higher on the waiver wire watch. But then lo and behold, you know, Williams. Uh, rightfully so, earned himself a lot of playing time and a lot of a lot of work, and he's done nothing to show them that they should turn away from him. So, 
I, you know, I'd be hesitant to put him towards like the RB one range, but I think I'd, I'd be pretty confident starting him as an RB two or in the flex uh, this coming Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy thing. Like, it was really hard to get behind him for that Thursday night game against the Texans, not only because of the ambiguity of the workload split with, you know, Jordan Wilkins, Williams, Naheem Hines, but also because the Houston defense has been kind of a pass funnel defense, pretty tough against the run, not very tough against the pass. And, you know, Williams just grinding it out all game and uh, just really effective running the ball. So And getting, uh, getting work in the passing game, too. That's right. That's right. Uh, more so than you would have thought, you know, and uh, which is right. Part of why it was so weird that as conservative as their game plan was in that game, that they would, you know, in their their last ditch drive on that. Was it a, a second and 10 where they like do some sweep mm-hmm. to Naheem Hines? Like, what are you doing? If you're going to run, you might as well run with your battering ram. But why are you bothering to run? Anyway, <laughs> a personal gripe left over from that game. Um, are you buying the DJ Moore shirt? <laughs> is this the guy we now have to uh, a guy we now have to consider wide receiver one? Yeah, I think I think I'm totally buying into it. And it was uh, I think it was just a kind of case of some bad luck, bad touchdown luck um, in, earlier in the season. But more more is this player like he was the Panthers wide receiver I wanted. More so uh, in the offseason, there was the great DJ Moore-Curtis Samuel debate just because I thought Moore had the pedigree. He showed it last year. He's a, a clinical route runner, which is great for getting separation and getting open. And Kyle Allen is starting to recognize that. And they're getting more – they're giving more more big play opportunities. That's just a funny way to, to stumble over his name with uh, sentences like that. But I think, like, the volume's there, the talent is there, and he's got a quarterback playing well with him. So – uh, I think I think he's definitely in the wide receiver one territory now. When I had Harmon on, I think it was like late July or early August, still in draft season, and he, you know, of course, is a big Curtis Samuel guy and was, you know, waxing eloquently about Samuel and uh, praising him. And you know, in the end, I'm, I said, "Do you like him more than DJ Moore?" And Harmon paused for a second. He's like, "Oh hell no, hell no! I like DJ Moore. That guy's great." You know. He, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, like he he obviously felt this was uh, within DJ Moore's range of outcomes, and um, you know, I was I, I admit I was starting to have my doubts, and I do not own DJ Moore in any league um, this year, but I, I definitely buy into it. I mean, you can just see it; he is uh, really taking names out there and, and looks fantastic. Uh, last thing, Alex, what do we do about Carson Wentz now? Uh, if you're a Carson Wentz owner, he's got this great scheduling set up down the stretch. And really, I think a lot of people were proactively grabbing him on waivers a few weeks ago, seeing that he had the Dolphins, Giants, and Redskins over the next three weeks. But the Eagles just have no playmakers at wide receiver. Uh, and even if they get Alshon Jeffrey back, I mean, yeah, he's an okay possession guy, but he is not exactly a playmaker. Is there any point to rostering Wentz? You know, the the the, fir- the question, is there any point to rostering him, is a tough one because the schedule is there. So if maybe, you know, things start to open up, because he's been, he's struggled so much lately, do both, I think, to a combination of not having any playmakers on the outside. His own play, like he had a lot of poor throws in that last game and has the other ones, but also he's kind of gone through a schedule gauntlet here where he had uh, the surprisingly frisky Jets secondary, uh, Minnesota, Dallas, Buffalo, Chicago, 
the Patriots and the Seahawks. Like that is kind of a murderer's row of defenses to face, but I, I am concerned about his play right now. So I think, you know, even if you're in a 10 or 12 team league, probably worth holding on to him just because that schedule is so favorable, but I would definitely be looking to stream somebody over starting once until I see him and that Eagles offense, get it back together. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's just been so bad. And like you said, that is a really difficult situation that he's had to negotiate, but um, you know, great that he's got the two tight ends. Uh, great that he's got Miles Sanders, but when you have that little playmaking ability, from your wide receivers, it's just going to be hard to pile up numbers. You know, you simply don't have a guy who can get you 40 yards at a time. And, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, Alex, uh, I want to thank you for lending me your time in this short holiday week. I know everyone is jamming a lot into the first two or three days. Uh, and I'm grateful that you were willing to come on and really glad that I finally got to have you as a guest after it looked like you might've retired from public fantasy football life. So Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for having me. It was it was a blast to get on here and uh, you know che- cheese it up with you, uh, a fellow uh, Wisconsinite. That's right, man. Um, yeah, we will have to get together for cheese and beer in Madison sometime soon. Uh, that's Alex Gellar, everyone. Find him on Twitter at Alex Gellar and check out his work at 4for4.com, one of the very best fantasy sites in the business. Thanks again, Alex, and happy Thanksgiving. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for this week's show. Let me once again thank our guest, Alex Galhar of 4for4.com. Find Alex on Twitter, at Alex Galhar. I need to thank my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter, at Overtime Ireland. Calm also co-hosts the excellent weekly podcast, Rotoviz Overtime, along with Sean Siegel. Go find that one. It's brilliant. Special thanks to my friend and colleague, Melissa Jacobs. Find Melissa on Twitter, at TheFootballGirl. Be sure to visit TheFootballGirl.com and check out Melissa's two excellent podcasts, The Football Girl Podcast and The Football Date Night Podcast, the latter of which is co-hosted by Melissa's husband, Dave. Thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, hopefully we can all find a little place for thankfulness and gratitude this week amidst all the eating and drinking and football watching. And folks, I am certainly thankful and grateful for all of you. Uh, I am so glad that you've chosen to listen to and support this show. And my friends, I promise that I will never take your support for granted and will do all I can to keep you here with me. Uh, All right, people, that's it. Go eat, drink, and be merry. I'd like to wish all of you a happy and safe Thanksgiving. I will be back next week, and I will talk to you then. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?